Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Instruction. Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to episode 41. And today it'll be called Armageddon, Gog Magog, and the Millennium. I'm not really sure a better title than that, but basically that's what we're going to be talking about. First, I would like to discuss a little bit about what I've been feeling lately. And sometimes, I don't know if y'all can relate to this, but... um. Sometimes I have, you know, like my doubts return and not not necessarily um, for my faith, but um, the doubts about myself, <laughs> like if I can, um, if, if what I'm saying and the things that I've come to here, if I even, um, <laughs> uh, how do I say this? Do I have, like, there? there's this idea that people have a um, uh, qualifications, <laughs> you know, and, and I had a conversation with a friend lately, and he seems to lean that way to where he says, who am I to think, you know, I guess we had a discussion about seminary and whether that's necessary to be a, a church leader. And I don't consider myself a church leader, but um, I do believe that we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit. But sometimes, you know, a lot of the things that I discuss on here may be things that are not uh, commonly taught by qualified people. <laughs> and sometimes I have these doubts, like, am I really on the right track? Am I way off the mark? Um, one thing I said in the very first video was one thing I'm 100% sure about is that I'm not, that I'm not right about everything. And that's always been my attitude. And I'm just here sharing my, what my heart and based on kind of my understanding of scripture, which has changed, uh, evolved, I should say, since I started this podcast. And I think I've brought up some of those things, but, um, but still, like, I kind of wonder sometimes if anything that I'm doing here is worth it or is like on the mark or, yeah, or not. There's other times where I feel like this is good that I'm, you know, this is kind of, um, even if I'm not right about a lot of things on here or some things on here, I don't know, even if that's the case, it's a learning process for me. And it's not, you know, it's not about the numbers of subscribers or listeners or anything, but it's, it's just, um, it's more about, is this good 
<laughs> or should I be submitting to tradition, church tradition? That's the one thing that I've always kind of questioned or, or challenged myself to do is to question tradition based on the Bible. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I'm kind of talking through this free form in therapy right now. <laughs> so if this is, if you all, if you're relating to anything that I'm saying here, um, send me an email, truthtransistorradio at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know if it matters, but the first letter of each word is capital, but it, there's no spaces or anything between or underscores between the uh, words truth transistor radio at gmail.com. Uh, if you um, know what I'm talking about or have any comments or, or thoughts on what I just was trying to say, uh, let me know if you want to be encouraging or discouraging or <laughs> whatever you'd like to do. Um, so I'm just kind of going through this little phase. I mean, I'm continuing forward for now, as far as this podcast goes. And because I, I it could be a, a, an attack from Satan as well, just attacking me as, as a person doubting myself, doubting my thoughts. And, and, you know, Satan is the king of gaslighting. He likes to make us feel like we really don't know what we're talking about. We need, you know, a Pope or a priest or somebody else to listen to and don't trust your own instinct. Don't trust your own mind. <laughs> don't trust your own research because if you're coming up with something different than the norm, the tradition, then you're probably weird. <laughs> so, you know, I'm kind of thinking through these things and, and talking out loud. And I don't know if, how it's coming across or if you're understanding what I'm saying. But um, the, the other thing that we discussed, that I discussed with my friend, is how the church that I attend, and he goes there too, but um, we've never had a senior pastor. We've never had one teacher on Sunday, uh, on Sunday mornings. We have a rotation of... Uh, pretty much just about every man that is a regular attendee. And if they're a mature Christian, they can preach, uh, on a Sunday morning. I even did one time, uh, last year, the first and only time that I've ever, uh, I wouldn't say preach, but I taught on Sunday morning. And that was on Daniel seven. We were going through the book of Daniel and I taught on that, but it's pretty much what I talked about in, um, one of the episodes when I'm going through the kingdoms. Um, so, but anyway, but my friend was like, you know, most of the people that teach on Sundays don't have the gift of teaching and they're not qualified because they didn't go to seminary. And it's like every other church has a senior pastor or these people that are, you know, qualified. They've been to seminary. Um, and, saying, how, who do we think we are that we figured out the right way to do it <laughs> with multiple elders and not one senior pastor? And my thinking was, if you 
want a senior pastor, go to another church. Because, like, why do you want to change ours when we have done it this way for 30 years? When um, And I'm not one of the elders. I'm not one of the leaders at all. I'm, I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying it just feels right to me. Uh, that's not how I grew up originally. I went to, we went to a first Baptist, uh, a Southern Baptist church. And, um, and then when I was 13, my mom who was widowed got remarried to a widower and he was, he's one of the elders and he still is of this church. And as an adult, I looked around to other churches and, um, there was just something about how people look up to a pastor and it just made me uncomfortable. It's not to say that like there's pastors that teach good things, like they're, they're very biblical and they're very humble and, and they're pure, you know, good husbands and, and family men and all that stuff. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not being legalistic about that. I'm just saying uh, it's more about it makes a person the the face of the church. And it kind of when I started thinking about it, I like the concept of not having a human face and that Jesus is the ruler or the CEO of, of the church. Right. And having um, mature Christians that are in leadership that discuss things amongst and pray over things amongst each other, I think, um, is, is, uh, I like the way that's done anyway. So they kind of challenged that and they thought, how do we, who do we think we are that we think we've figured out the right way to do things? And who do I think I am when I'm, when I have maybe unique perspectives when it comes to scripture, because I'm challenging everything that I've ever heard. I'm challenging my own thoughts. And it's kind of what ha this podcast has become. And I don't know, maybe you find it unique. Maybe you disagree with a lot of the things I have said on this podcast. Maybe you agree with a lot of things I say on this podcast. But... Anyway, what do you think? If you send an email, uh, have you f ever felt like this? Like you question yourself. Do you ever feel like you're being gaslit? Or maybe you think that maybe there's truth in that, like in, in the way, you know, you question yourself. Um, all I can say is every single one of us are limited, finite human beings and God is, is God. So, you know, here I am just expressing my freedom of speech and expressing what I believe. And unless God tells me to stop, I'm going to keep going because I, I, I believe God wants me to do this. And um, I'm doing it, I believe, for the right reasons. So anyway, I, I hope that wasn't a wasted I hope you understood and maybe you can relate to that. But again, send me an email if you have any thoughts on what I just said. And uh, we'll just go on to the topic at hand. I guess leading into this, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Hamas-Israel situation. And one of the things that I have noticed is how 
people tend to view that based upon either their politics or their their theological perspective. What do I mean? Well, like in politics, obviously, it seems like if you watch Republican or conservative outlets, they tend to support Israel. Liberal outlets tend to support Palestine for some reason. And and then with doctrine, um, it doesn't mean, I don't think any Christian groups favor Islamic, you know, ideals. However, there is, you know, the dispensational view and that supports Israel at all costs, you know, supports Israel. They are God's people and God still has a plan for them. And it's going to be, you know, and the world is turning against them. This is the perspective of dispensationalism and that God's going to use them again in the last days. Now, I do think God's going to use them again in the last days, but maybe not the way that dispensationalists think. Now, there is another view where God is done with Israel or that the church has the church is Israel, basically. Anyone who believes in Christ is the true Israel. And I don't really have a full perspective on this. Um, we're going to, to discuss it a little bit um, in this video, I think, because I think it's it's kind of important. Um, but I... Um, that's not the topic at hand, so I don't want to get too bogged down on that. But those are two basic views. Now, I will say this. I totally disagree with John Hagee, who has said basically that Jesus is not the Messiah of the Jews, which is totally wrong. Um, he, there is a passage that says all of Israel will be saved, but then you have to ask the question, is Israel... Uh, there is a verse that says, not all who are born of Israel is Israel. It's actually here in Romans chapter 9, and I'll start in verse 6. But it is, uh, sorry, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man for our forefather Isaac. Though they were not yet born and had not done and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose or election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So you can look at that, and it's kind of deep, it's a little complicated, but it says not all of Israel are Israel, but it says the children of the promise are through Isaac. So I don't know if that means everyone born of Isaac is saved, <laughs> like... Uh, I wouldn't think so, but um, I think you have to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, it's possible that at some point, everybody who is a descendant would come to faith. I don't know, of, of, of Isaac. 
Um, I'm going to read this other passage here, um, Romans 11, and uh, starting in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, uh, let's see, where is this? Um, see, if the dough offered as fruit, first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the whole root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourish, nourishing root of the olive tree. So basically, you can read that chapter yourself, Romans 11, but he's talking about the Gentiles being grafted in, and, and a lot of the people that were uh, of Israel were cut off because of their unbelief. And so there's this idea that true Israel has continued in with the Gentiles, and not necessarily uh, based upon race, but based upon faith. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on that because it's, it might come up again in this topic. But mainly what I'm focused on here today, and the basis for this is Revelation 19 and 20. Those two chapters uh, has really kind of... Uh, molded my thinking when it comes to the millennium. And then I, I mentioned that there are two wars uh, and we will look at those here in a second. So let me just read these two chapters real quick and I'll kind of pause as I go through it. Revelation 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of her, his servants. You remember we talked about the great prostitute in uh, one of the previous recent episodes, um, the, the mystery, mystery Babylon or the woman that rides the beast. Verse three, once more, they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was sent, seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all his, you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and uh, 
and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god then i fell down at the feet to worship him but he said to me you must not do that i am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of jesus worshiping god for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy now this is I believe where the fir the first of the wars that I was I'm going to talk about is and starting in verse 11 of Revelation 19 Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has made a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white robes, or white horses. From this mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, now, let me just pause here real quick. So, you see Christ in the heavens on a white horse and a great army behind him on white horses. I believe this is the second coming. And as there was an episode earlier where I discussed the different views of the rapture, like the timing of it, I do believe personally in a post-tribulation rapture. And so I believe that the rapture probably takes place right at this point. And those who are resurrected, the first, you know, um, and, and raptured or raptured, if you're not dead yet, um, are caught up and are immediately given new bodies and are on white horses and, um, attacking as it says here, let's see, well, I think it'll, it's about to say who we attack. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those 
who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two, so that's the uh, the beast and the false prophet, were ca uh, thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Now there is some mystery here because it seems to indicate that there will be non-believers in the millennium. So how that relates to this, I don't know, because it seems to say all men free and slave. Um, so I don't really know what that means. Now, I've thought of a few possibilities here as far as people that enter the millennium. Well, let me keep reading and I'll give you the reason why I'm convinced that there will be lost people in the millennium. Let me just keep going here. Then I, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So notice that Satan is cast into the bottomless pit while the uh, beast and false prophet were cast in the lake of fire. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So notice that the first resurrection includes those who did not take the mark of the beast or the number of his name. Now, from a premillennial return of Christ and a futurist view, there are some that suggest a pre-tribulation rapture or pre-wrath rapture. Um, now, the pre-wrath rapture is still compatible with this, but the pre-trib rapture, I don't know how... The first resurrection could include those who did not take the mark of the beast if it's a pre-trib rapture. So I would, I don't know. It is, it's just, um, my, my conclusion is a post-tribulation rapture. Um, but anyway, I've already discussed that in a previous episode. And the war that we just discussed in Revelation 19, I believe, this is my words, I'm not reading this, is Armageddon. Uh, that's just my thought. Now, I have to dig. I, I'm not 100% on that, but I, I believe that is what that is. Um, so let's keep continue here. Um, this is the first resurrection. Blessed, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, 
but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, let me say the thousand years is, now it doesn't use the word millennium, but that's usually the word that is used. Now, there are some that teach in that the church age is the millennium, and it's not a literal thousand years. The word millennium is not here. It just says a thousand years. And it talks about how Satan is not deceiving and how the church is reigning and ruling. Now, who are they reigning and ruling over? I'd assume it, it's, it's non-believers who have uh, entered into the millennium. And again, I'm not exactly sure who they are, but... Um, but I have some theories on that. But let me continue because this is what convinced me that there are people that are unsaved that enter the millennium. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plains of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now notice that Satan is able to deceive. Now, if you have a resurrected body, an immortal body that is without sin now, can you still be deceived and come against God's people? I would think that with our new body and a resurrected body, we will no longer sin. That's just my thinking. I don't think we'll be deceived. So who are the lost people that enter into the millennium? Now, I don't know. Maybe there will be non-believers that don't take the mark of the beast. Maybe there, the children will not be held accountable for the parents giving them the mark of the beast. There may be like people that are... Uh, uh, human trafficking victims that um, really don't have an opportunity to to even they don't have the free freedom to like do anything other than what they're told so maybe they're the ones I don't know I don't know uh, it says all f men free and slave but that could be that could mean men like masculine, it could mean adults. I don't know. So I, I don't, I'm not going to say I know for sure. There's some mystery here, but there is a great deception that happens. And this is before the second resurrection. And um, yeah. Now notice also that after the thousand years is ended, it talks about Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. Now, unless you are, now a lot of futurists believe that Gog and Magog is around the corner. 
if, if the or during the Great Tribulation, which I do not see any indication, at least in these chapters of Revelation, and I'm going to get into Ezekiel because uh, in this video, in this not video, in this episode here in a, in a little bit, because people said, well, read Ezekiel because that will show you that there is a Gog Magog war before the millennium, and uh, and I'll share my thoughts with that in a in a little bit but now it is possible that Gog Magog is in the near future if you are a uh preterist or a post-millennial or amill view because they believe that the church age is the millennium so that would mean that towards the end that would be Gog Magog which would be in the it could be in the near future if we're near the end but if you're pre-mill I don't personally and I'm not saying you're wrong maybe maybe I there's things I need to discover so I'm not but I do not see any indication at least in this in Revelation there's no indication of a Gog Magog uh, at the very least there would be two Gog Magog wars but if there's not, then it's definitely after the millennium. All right, let me keep reading here. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But the fire came down from heaven and, the, and consumed them. Now, this is very similar to Revelation 19. So there's fire that comes down from heaven in Revelation 19, right before the... Uh, marriage supper of the lamb and here it says come down from heaven and consume them and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and pro false prophet were now some most translations say where the beast and false prophet are in the esv that i'm reading says were and i'm not sure what why that's different there and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from the presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, I'll... I'll stop there for now because this is where we get into the final judgment. Now, Revelation 19 and 20, there's a lot of mystery here. You know, I, I'm not claiming to know all the details. I'm just trying to sort of understand or explain. Uh, and you can read those for yourself, the kind of the order that things take place. So just as a summary, before we get to a song and then... Um, We'll look at Ezekiel on this same uh, Gog Magog and the Millennium and everything. <clears throat> uh, the, the order that I see, at least in these chapters, is the return of Christ. And he's on a white horse coming in the clouds with his saints also as a, as a great army. And the kings and the armies all surround the camp of the saints and fire comes down from heaven and devours them. Then we enter in the millennium. And I think at this point, at least from my perspective as a futurist, but a post-trib futurist, I believe that Christ and the saints 
take over the kings of the world and begin to govern the earth. And um, this leads to a time of peace and justice, unlike ever before on earth. And uh, because, you know, you, <laughs> I'm sure every one of you here uh, listening knows that there's a lot of corruption in powerful places. You know, I've discussed that before in this podcast. Um, and I get into deeper, like, conspiracy, Illuminati stuff, that a lot of the most powerful people on earth are Luciferians, right? You have passages that talk about Satan being the the prince of the power of the air, of darkness, the prince of power of darkness, the principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, the god of this world is, is Satan. And you see Satan uh, tempting Christ, and one of the temptations was, if you bow down to me, I'll give all these things to you. So these are all in, in Scripture, right? And so that is why things are so messed up in, in world affairs and world governments and leaderships and everything. But that's going to come to an end. And the rulership of Satan is going to end. And he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit. Christ and his saints will then take over the governing authorities and true justice and peace will take place. All of the deceptions of the secret societies and everything will be exposed and done. And at that point, and Christ will be ruler. And then you have the millennium, this, this great time of peace. Um, now, I personally believe that the lost people that are in the millennium can come to faith. And I believe that the lost people who are still mortal will still be able to get married and have children. And their children can come to faith as well. But a lot of them won't. And that God's people will no longer be marrying and given into marriage. They'll be uh, immortal. We will be resurrected to immortal bodies and sinless and be um, good and just leaders um, on earth. But at the end of this, there will be a great deception again where Satan uh, is released from the bottomless pit and goes out to gather the nations against God's people once again. So there will be another um, rebellion and deception at the end. And that's when another fire comes down from heaven to devour them. And then you have the final judgment. So that's kind of a timeline that I get here in Revelation 19. So we're going to look at a couple of chapters in Ezekiel and see, is there a Gog Magog before the millennium? Or is it the same order that we see here? Okay, so the song of the day is a song called This Means War by Petra. I think it's, you know, I like to pick songs that are related to what I'm talking about. And we just read about this big war and there's, well, two big wars. So This Means War by Petra.
Once again, that is This Means War by Petra. So if you like their music, uh, look them up. Um, they were big. Uh, they started in the 70s and got really big in the 80s and into the early 90s when they kind of faded uh, a little bit after that. But it was the first Christian rock group that I ever heard, I believe. And um, they were perhaps the biggest rock group in Christian music in the late 80s into the early 90s before music changed. So they were kind of in that heavy metal, hard rock kind of era. So anyway, um, all right. So now we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. And it's chapter 38 that talks about Gog Magog. So I'm going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to look at context. So starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief of Meshech and Tubal, and I will, will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws and I will bring you out and all your armies, horses and horsemen all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, uh, Betorgorma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Okay, now I want to go back and get some context here. Now what I'm looking for is, is there any indication of the same um, context that Revelation 20 talks about where it's after the 1,000 years? So the things that I'm looking for, if, if unless there's another Gog-Magog, I mean, unless there's two Gog-Magog wars, which I was open to when I read this. But I was thinking, okay, if there's, if this is the same Gog-Magog war and there's only one of them, then I would think that maybe there'd be a, a mention of the rapture, of, you know, the first resurrection and um, the millennium. <laughs> so we're going to read this. And, you know, what I talked about early in this podcast or this episode about questioning myself and I'm going to ask you to think through this, too, as we read it. But I will say this. When I've done searches on this passage, I have not found anyone else <laughs> that concludes what, I'm what I've concluded or, or at least leaned towards based on these passages, which kind of makes me question, am I insane? Am I an idiot? Or is everybody else um, misled and tradition has taken over? I don't know. But I'll let you decide that for yourself. So let's start in verse 37. First question is, is there any indication of the rapture or, you know, the first resurrection? Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out to the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around them. 
and behold, there were very many on the surface of, of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God in, to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come up upon you, and uh, cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there were, was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they, they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet an, exceeding, an exceedingly great army. Now, I'll, I'll get into what it says here in a second. But that to me sounds like a resurrection. And they immediately become a great army. And remember what we read when Jesus returns on a white horse and a great army with him on white horses. Now, the explanation here, I think, has caused many to... I have an... Exp, I have... A, well, I have thoughts on this and why I still think this could be the rapture. But let's read. And, and a lot of people believe. Well, let's read it. Verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Uh, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Now, let me pause here for a second. So many believe that this is symbolic language of Israel becoming a nation again, that they were cut off when in 70 AD or 72 AD, and then in 1948 became a nation again. I'm open to that. And it even says, bring you into the land of Israel. But you remember what I talked about earlier when I said, uh, well, when I read those passages about not all who are born of Israel are Israel. It talks about uh, people's uh, or branches being cut off and Gentiles being grafted in. And that, the question of, is true Israel those who believe in Christ? In the Old Testament, of course, those who believe in God. I don't know. Like, like I'm kind of leaning towards that. And then if you look at this passage from that perspective, it makes more sense. That it's only those who have true faith in God 
in the Old Testament or in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. And it's not just modern Kabbalistic Jews. As we looked at, you know, Mystery Babylon and Jerusalem be call, being called a harlot that fornicates with the kings of the earth got me to believe that eschatological Israel is Mystery Babylon. But we also, I will also say that there are true Christians in Israel and true Christians that are offspring or, or descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is not anti-Semitic to say this. So I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just saying if they reject Jesus, then they're not saved. And so when you look at this passage from that perspective, that is replacement theology or that I, I would say fulfillment theology, that true Israel are all those who believe in Christ then it sort of, you could look at this passage and see that this could be talking about the rapture, the dry bones coming to life and becoming a great army, right? Now let's keep reading. The Now I, I wanted to uh, also see if there was any kind of indication of being grafted in. You know, when we talked about the two witnesses, there was that um, the audio that I played about um, Israel and the church. Uh, that was, he, he gave a lot of um, passages, the two branches, the two olive branches or, or whatever, the two lampstands, right? Now, this is kind of interesting, although the, the well, let me read it. Starting in verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in, in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Now, here he's saying that, it's talking about Judah and Israel, which which were two literal. They had, Israel had divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, at you know somewhere before Ezekiel. So that was true, and he's saying they will be rejoined. But it, I I find this language interesting because it sounds similar to the two branches. That is the the believers. That is Israel and the church being grafted together or being united. And maybe I am mistaken to consider this to be ref referring to that because it's talking specifically about Judah and Israel. <laughs> but I just found that interesting. So let's keep reading verse um, 18. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick. 
that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So there are definitely verses in here that could be referring to physical Israel, like the people of Israel. And as of today, the nation that's there, it's just called Israel. You know, it's not like a merging of Israel and Judah um, but it is, there are passages in here that talk about gathering the people to their own land. And so I think a lot of people believe that's what it's talking about. But if you also look at the context of, and it might be using the, the language that they understood at that time in terms of um, Israel and Judah had, having been split and using that as an example, but it could be talking about Israel and the church being grafted together. Um, and, and when it's talking about um, the, the, they, they will not defile themselves anymore and their idols and their detestable things, that could also be talking about those who come to faith and repent of their sins. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking through this because I'm using Revelation 19 and 20 as a template, as a timeline. And I'm kind of going back into this um, as a context. And, it, you know, if if it's, um, you know, so all of this is before the millennium, at least this part of it, the bones, you know, dry bones coming to life and um, and the the, you know, the two sticks being grafted together. Let's go to verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Now, let me just say, um, there's some confusion here because when Jesus returns, he will be the king. But, of course, um, there will be... Uh, the resurrected saints of both Old and New Testament. So the pre, um, the, the saints before will probably be mostly from Israel, but there could be believers from other Gentile nations as well, such as in Nineveh, for example. But, um, but it says that I, I, I get the sense that in the millennium, there will be kings or, or governors over each nation. Uh, so the nations will still exist. And David will be resurrected with, you know, in the first resurrection with all the saints and be the king over the, is, you know, Israel. 
So Israel will have its own nation as well. And of course, Jesus will be Lord over all of these. But there will be um, people that are resurrected saints that will rule over their own nations. So maybe that's just a thought that King David, obviously one of the faithful in the Old Testament, will be resurrected and become the the king of of Israel. And all the resurrected saints of Judah and Israel will also be reunited, uh, the ones that had faith on both sides. So, I don't know. <laughs> We're just thinking through this. Uh, verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. So we're talking about peace now. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst forevermore. Now it's talking about multiplying with if they have resurrected bodies, will they multiply? I don't know. It's interesting. Um, now that could also be those who those who um, enter into the millennium that were not saved. I don't know. Um, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So now we get to verse 38 and Gog Magog. And, and I talked about these nations, Persia, Cush, and Put, and Helmer, Gomer, and all his herds. And we all know, you know, Persia became Iran. Cush is in Africa, I believe. I don't know who Put is, but I believe Gomer is an offspring of Japheth. Um, and Gog, uh, um, I believe Gog is from Shem, and Magog is from Japheth. Anyway, if you want to look at like the genealogies in Genesis 11, you can get see some of these names. And I'm assuming the offspring of these groups, which is another interesting thing to consider. But, um, you know, Japheth being the forefather of Europe and Russia, Ham, the forefather of Africa, and Shem, the forefather of Israel and Arabs and um, some other nations. Uh, and, and I suspect even Asians uh, are from Shem as well. I, I That's my guess. There's different views on who um, the forefather of the Asian people are, Far East. Um, but anyway, uh, verse 7, be ready and, and keep ready, you and all your hosts, that are assembled before you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be mustered. In the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance among coming on like a storm you will be like a cloud covering the land you and all your hordes and many peoples with you thus says the lord god on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme so he's talking about the 
the evil scheme and the, you know, gathering um, and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. See, when I read that, I'm thinking the millennium. I don't think that Israel today has unwalled villages. <laughs> but I think in, in the time of the millennium, there will be unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates to seize spoil and carry off plunder to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited. And the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth, Sheba and Dedan, and the merchants of, the Tarsh, of Tarshish and all its leaders, will say to you, Have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God on that day, when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north and you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land and the nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So when I, you know, it skips from this dry bones coming to life and the two branches being um, grafted in to this Gog-Magog thing. But it specifically states that when Gog attacks, it's attacking a city with no walls or no bars, no, uh, sorry, no walls or gates, no bars or, um, is it doors? Uh, anyway, so... I don't see any indication when I, I, I think this is very parallel to Revelation 19 and 20. Um, and they're surrounding Israel, which could be God's people, both Jew and Gentile. Um, those of faith, right? Not necessarily all. Uh, and, and a lot of people are out there saying that Gog Magog's about to happen uh, Russia is Gog and they're going to attack Israel in the near future or whatever it is. Now that could happen. It seems that Russia is not on friendly terms with Israel. There seems to be a war brewing and all that. I don't know. But like when I read scripture and it talks specifically about Gog Magog, when I'm looking at Ezekiel, um, I don't see anything that contradicts this concept and um, and it could fit like again there's passages that talk about Israel specifically and and Gog Magog surrounding Israel but again could that mean God's people and not necessarily just the nation of Israel I don't know um 
You will come against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on the day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be aroused in my anger, for in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground i will summon a sword against gog and all the mountains declares the lord god every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed i will enter into judgment with him and i will reign upon him and his hordes and the many people who are with him torrential rains and hailstones fire and sulfur so i will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations then they will know that i am the lord now there are some confusing things here that's the end of chapter 38 and they you know considering my perspective that jesus is already on earth reigning and ruling. But at the same token, you have to realize when Jesus was on the earth the first time, people didn't recognize him either uh, for who he was. And um, there might be a new conspiracy theory, except instead of against Luciferian leaders, this Gog-Magog starts a, a conspiracy that Jesus is evil and God's people are corrupt and they want freedom from this, you know, um, I don't know. Um, but they still, you know, I don't know. So, um, and you son of man prophesy against Gog and Magog. This is chapter 39 and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you. O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and give you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel. You shall all, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on, on those who dwell securely in the coastlands. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So it's interesting that it's even this fire is even coming down on those who dwell securely. I don't know. I, I'm a little confused about some of this for sure, but... Um, 
but I do see some indications that there is similar order to Revelation 19 and 20. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to claim that I have all this figured out for sure. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, we're past an hour, well past an hour, but I'll, I'll stop there. And the next episode will be on the final judgment and the new heavens and new earth. And so that will be interesting. And uh, yeah, I, I'll just say this, that um, I don't have all this figured out. <laughs> Ezekiel 37 and 38 are very tough. But using Revelation 19 and 20, which seems to be a little bit more straightforward in, in how it's ordered, it it seems it, it can fit. I, I can get those two to parallel each other. You just have to use um, symbolic language when it comes to Israel, when it comes to the two sticks of Judah and Israel might be, you know, Israel and the church or, or what have you. Um, and then the those who dwell securely could be in the millennium. So anyway, all right. Thank you all and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Rob, go for instruction. 